You're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL Supercoach All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back again for our pre-season podcast series with our team previews. Uh, we've got the Roosters and also the Newcastle Knights previewed in this podcast today. And on top of that as well, we've got some exciting news for the All-Stars Podcast. Very exciting announcement. For the 2021 season, we'll actually be partnering with Top Sport. So if you don't know them, Top Sport is one of Australia's premier bookmakers for sports and racing. 100% Australian-owned and operated, which is great. Um, consistently some of the best value offers and odds in the business as well. A lot of you will know, like me and Billy, will, will chat about uh, punting a little bit on the podcast and stuff as well. Kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with some of the uh, NRL and Supercoach news and everything as well sometimes when we do some of the reviews. But what's most exciting with Top Sport for the 2021 season is that they'll be, for the first time, offering betting markets for Supercoach. So... Whether you want to bet on the over or under on, say, Tedesco's points for that week for his games or futures bets on who will be the number one super coach player by year's end, Top Sport will have all those markets and plenty more for the NRL season. So I'm excited for this. I really can't wait. Um, but if you do sign up to Top Sport, make sure you put in SC All Stars as your promo code because that way they'll know that you're one of our listeners and they'll take good care of you. Uh, but as always, obviously gamble responsibly and within your means. Supercoach and betting are both meant to be fun. Uh, that's what I do them both for because I can't really compete in either of these days. But partnerships like this are really important for podcasts like me because they allow me to keep putting out the content. Um, so I've been really excited with it and I'm really excited to have a partner like Top Sport on board. So get on, have a look at them. They're really good. They'll have some super coach markets up probably in the next couple of weeks um, and as the NRL season gets closer. But on that note... We've also got a debutant on the NRL Supercoach All-Stars podcast. Luke Garrity is an avid Knight supporter, but even more so, he's one of the two hosts on the Rugby League Cemetery podcast, which you might have heard. Fantastic podcast where you can hear some old games reviewed in modern times, uh, which is always fantastic. I've been hounding Luke to do a Knights versus Roosters preliminary final one from one of the many finals that uh, Freddie's destroyed the Knights and Andrew Johns, but I um, haven't managed to get him onto those ones yet. But I'm pretty sure you'd be close to it, mate. Uh, that'll never be happening. Thanks for having me, mate. I'm sure it'll be the first and last time. But no, we have had a, quite a few Roosters fans now badgering us to do the particularly the 2000 preliminary final with the Freddie intercept, and he's come back from about 16-4 or whatever it was to win. But um, that'll never be happening. Podcasts are supposed to be fun, and as historically good as that game may be, it'll be the last game on earth that I ever watch again. It won't be happening. Uh, I was in hospital for a week after that game as a 10-year-old. I was very, very sick. Uh, pretty sure none of it was physical. Uh, it still hurts to think about it, and yeah, just it, it will never be happening, not ever. Yeah, the, the Freddie Masterclasses did do that to a number of teams and fans, mate. How are you going with your Supercoach season? Have you have you um, been putting together 50 million teams, or you've kind of been taking it easy, easing into it a bit this year? Look, I'm always a, a 50 million teams sort of guy uh, with a, like got to make 10 changes a day based on the Fox Sports news. And I've been trying very hard to not do that this year to just, um, I, I have put a team together. 
I've maybe made two or three changes, but I'm trying very hard to leave it till the last week. Once I've got a basic idea of what's happening, the more scope you give me, I just get a little bit loose. I start getting in my own head and come up with a million reasons to do different things. I'm gonna, I've got a basic template. We're going to wait till team list, and I'm going to look at the team sheet, and I'm going to plunk all the right cheapies in and, and try not to overthink it. The, uh, the less... I think about it, the better I do, because you get one impression it works when you have 19 different goes at thinking it all out. One of them was right, and you inevitably settle on the wrong one. So I'm trying to calm it down this year. And we'll see how that goes. The closer we get, the more changes have started to happen. So I'm falling into old habits again, unfortunately. Uh, sometimes old habits are good. <laughs> so, you know, just jump in there. I've, I'm up to about team number 1,003, um, and I reckon I'm behind on the last couple of years, so I need to ramp it up a bit. But... <laughs> well, that- that's the thing. Everything gets upsetting by round one because when round one, when you've had that many teams, inevitably someone you've dropped has a blinder and you start going, oh, I had this guy and I had that guy. But, you know, you sort of had everyone by your thousands. <laughs> it can make you upset with whatever happens, basically, by then. Yeah, but I find that it gives you a lot of outs too because then you can say to people, oh, I was on that guy. I just changed it at the last <laughs> minute. So if you do it enough times, you can manage to get everybody in so you can say that you're on them. That's um, right. So we're going to go through the Newcastle Knights and the Sydney Roosters today for some Supercoach team previews. Now, obviously, you're a big Knights supporter. Uh, we're going to go through their gains and losses and also their draw. But before we do that, how are you generally feeling about the Knights this year? Oh, uh, not good, uh, to be honest with you. Um, look, the last few years haven't been haven't been much much good to be honest with you they sort of have had before last year there was a couple of seasons in a row where they were in the top four um, by about round 10 and plummeted back out uh, last year they were in the top four and plummeted to sort of the bottom at seventh or eighth and and what people have probably missed because a lot of people have been um, pretty pretty up on O'Brien for getting him to the finals for the first time in a long time and I understand that and I don't think he did a bad job, but but people need to remember how they finished the year. There was it was a shortened COVID season. We were four or five rounds short of what the season should have been, and the pattern was repeating. They got absolutely pizzled by the Gold Coast in the last <laughs> round of the season. They got wiped off the park by South Sydney in the finals, and their last month was was extremely poor. They had a lot of bad losses over the last month of the season, even the last six weeks. The Warriors put thirty on them and that sort of thing. So, really. Um, there's been a pattern for a number of years now of Newcastle playing pretty good footy in the first 10 weeks of the season, um, usually with, with Ponga managing to really put a couple of routes on some teams and make us think we're going on, and they've faded out every season. I don't see last season as much different, other than they cut the season short. It was four weeks longer. The Titans would have run over the top of them into the finals. I don't have any doubt about that. Um, and there was, was, you know, there was a couple of teams around the bottom there as well. So I think... There's not a lot of changes to the roster this year, and really the question is going to be with the same for me as what it was last year. It's that you got the same roster. Can you get more out of them? That, that's really what it's going to come down to. And, you know, if a couple of key guys improve, the, the forward pack's good enough to play top eight football. It's a top six forward pack. It's really going to come down to Caelan Ponger and whether he's going to become you know, a James Tedesco sort of player or, or you know, a Brad Fittler or those sort of leading players or whether he's going to be a Sean Johnson and be a bit of a bit of a party act and put a lot of highlights and not make it. And the season's going to rest with him. You know, that's really the long and the short of it. Yeah, I kind of see it pretty similar to you. I mean, I think that last season, um, like quite fair enough to probably O'Brien was a little exposed as being a pretty green head coach in the NRL. Uh, and that's fine because everyone's going to go through that when they're a new head coach. Uh, so you'd hope that that might be a positive in 2021 that he's got that season under his belt and that experience under his belt that he should be able to uh, right the ship a little bit more. 
quite vocal with you when we chatted a lot that I was pretty disappointed in some of the Knights' performances because they would go through a couple of weeks where they'd, they'd look like the team that I thought that they would, where Ponga would yeah. carve up, um, Pierce was doing some better things, and the Ford pack was dominating, and you had these young guys like Bradman Best and Stafford Tower and stuff that were finishing off nicely. Yeah. So it, they looked good. And then, you know, there was a game that I remember vividly, and, you know, speaking about top sport at the start, you know, I... <laughs> because I gambled on it, um, mm. that uh, they were playing the Cowboys, and I was like <laughs> amazed at the odds, and I was saying to Billy on this podcast, wow, you know, the Knights are paying, I think it was $1.55 or something, at home versus the Cowboys, I'm pretty sure that was the game, and they got absolutely towed, like, by a million points, and it was just mm. awful, and you would have sworn that you were watching the team that had already gotten the wooden spoon, that's how bad they were, and... There was just too many of those performances. So I was probably higher on them last year than what you were. And I came right back to earth and ended up being pretty pessimistic by the end. So I really don't know what they'll do this year. Um, for me, I think that their range is probably going to be somewhere in the realm of, I would say, bigger range than most teams that I've previewed so far. You know, I could see them anywhere from sort of 6th to 13th. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I probably think 6 to 12, so fairly similar. I think they're not going to be right down the bottom because the forward pack's very good and um, Kalen will just win enough games. Like, there'll be days where they just win, um, and that's been the case for a while. They played a game last year against Canberra where Kalen Ponga could have been the best player in the world. If you watch that one game, yep. you know, like, he was the best player on the planet by a mile. Um, he played a game against the Sharks where he did the same thing. There'll just be enough of those results that they're not going to be a team that finishes dead last um, or down there. And the forward pack's very good. I think it's a, a really good pack. But, yeah, the questions are, are the off-field stuff. I agree. O'Brien was maybe a little bit exposed. I don't think he did a bad job. It was a hard year, the COVID stuff, losing the training. All that's very hard for any coach, but your players going away for six or eight weeks or the shutdown and coming back, and he had a lot of injuries. So there was a lot to deal with, but it makes it harder when you don't have that experience. But, again, it, it's the same story for a few years. It's just what whether they're going to improve it internally. And, you know, Piercy's at an age where that's not going to happen. Um, we're not going to see a wildly different to what he has produced the last few years, in my opinion, now. Um, they're unsettled. You know, they've got young Braley, I think, is an okay player, but he's a solid player. He's not a game-changing player in the spine. And then your 5'8's probably going to be Blake Green, and we all pretty much know what he does. So it's just coming down to Kalen again. Um, and the question marks there are, are whether... The Knights' attack has been appalling some weeks, and it's hard to know how much of that's him and how much of it's the guys around him, and that, that's got to change. But really, what he does and what they do with him will decide the season. And and aside from that, like you said, that Cowboys result, that was in North Queensland, but that was one of the worst ones. But there's just too many days like that. The Bulldogs, they, they lost to. Um, we lost a game to the Bulldogs. You know, who lost to the Bulldogs last year? And that was a game. Not many. <laughs> no, they've lost like their last nine or eight of nine to the Bulldogs and stuff like that. So what happens to them is they come out of the blocks okay. They beat some good teams. Like the, Ra the Raiders win was a fantastic win. Um, they have some wins like that. Then they absolutely put 50 on the Tigers. They put 40 on the Sharks. So you have these blowout scores they put on against middling teams. They get a good win here and there. But what happens is they can't compete with the top teams. Melbourne and the Roosters and teams like that tend to really put them away. And then they also drop gimmies. They've dropped gimmies for years. They've been beaten by the Warriors last year, the Bulldogs last year, the Cowboys last year. And that's that, that floor's too low. You, you can't to make the finals and to be consistently in the finals and give yourself a shot, you just got to be putting those teams away. There's, you can't go around, you know, putting a good day on against a 
the team coming fifth and flogging the team coming twelfth, but dropping teams, dropping games to the spoon side, and then getting pizzled when you play Melbourne and East. It's not, it's not going to do it for you. And I'm getting a bit frustrated again. That uh, look, <laughs> I, I, live, I live in hope. You know, Caelan Ponger is a generational talent, and I think the next year or two is when we're going to see whether he wants to be a, you know, he he wants to be a great player. We're going to see it now, or whether he's going to be a Sean Johnson, and we're going to finish at the end of his career, and he's going to have the best YouTube video ever but not much to show for it. So this is when we'll find out. And I've got my fingers crossed because he's got it in him. He's good enough, that's for sure. Yeah, he's got a huge amount of talent. Um, so mm-hmm. Caleb Pong is obviously someone that's very super coach relevant, but we're not going to be talking about it on this podcast because he's probably going to be gone at least the first month of the season. I think that the latest update was four to six weeks. So They won't rush him either. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. And I mean, that's, that's going to be a tough start though. Um, thankfully, they got a good draw though. So let's go through that very quickly. The gains are losses. Um, you kind of touched on Luke, but I don't think they lost much at all. So Herman SASA was mailing in basically for a year now anyway, so he's gone to the Gold Coast. Tim Glasby's retired, Aidan Guerra's retired, so that's nice to get some of that money off the books. Lino's gone over to Wakefield, which is probably good for him. I think he'll carve up the Super League, actually. I think he'll do really yeah. well over there. Come back good over. Good for on... me, too. <laughs> yeah, good for you, too. He'll come... It'll be great for Mason. He'll come over on a massive yeah. like 700k deal in about three years' time for a bottom feeder <laughs> side and, and end up retiring on that. But Sione Matautia finally is gone. I know that some Newcastle people really like him and everything, you know, youngest kangaroo ever, blah, 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 but really fizzled out after his first couple of years. Um, Andrew McCulloch uh, over to the Broncos, probably by somewhere else now, uh, and Tautau Moga over to the Rabbits. So I, I don't think he really lost much. As far as the gains, like, I don't think he gained heaps either, but Tyson Frizzell's uh, a really good game. He's better than anybody that you've lost, and he's going to improve your pack. Uh, and then Blake Green... It's probably the type of six that you need with Pierce and Ponga there, um, provided he can come back from his ACL injury. Everyone else, some decent signings in there, like Jack Johns, who I like, and a few others, but um, they're basically depth. So, I mean, we're going to talk about the draw quickly, but I know that we're going to disagree on this one a little bit, and I understand why. I'm mm. going to tell you what I think about it, though. Really, for Supercoach, I've said this on every podcast, Luke, but I'll, I'll reiterate it again for the listeners. Um, the first sort of couple of months of the most important that I'm looking for. You were looking, I'm looking for a hot start. Four to six weeks in particular is great. And I will say for me, and you know, I say this because of the sides that they're playing. So Luke's made a point to me before, which I'm sure he'll get to. <laughs> if the Knights are terrible anyway, it doesn't matter who they're playing, which is valid. Um, my counterpoint to that when me and Luke have chatted is, well, it can't get any better though than what they've got for the first six weeks. So first six weeks, we've got four out of those six are going to be at home for the Knights, which is good. And they've got the Bulldogs, the Warriors, the Tigers, the Dragons, the Titans, and the Sharks. Now, only one of those six teams was in the top eight last year, and that was the Cronulla Sharks in round six. And they're not going to be in the top eight this year. I'm pretty comfortable in saying that. To me, those are six likely non-top eight teams. Some of them might push for it, like the Titans or or Warriors, Tigers. But likely, those teams are going to be some of the better Supercoach teams to play. The important thing is they're not playing one top four team there. Um, and they're not really playing any powerhouse teams or any teams that look fantastic. Um, so all those teams pretty much allowed super coach points last season. Luke, I get your pessimism as a Knights fan, mm-hmm. but that's the best starting six out of any team as far as your opposition. Like, you can't get better. No, the draw is good, but um, for super coach, you need them to score points. 
I don't see it. I just don't. Um, they've literally, they've lost seven or eight from nine against the Bulldogs, and they got them in round one. They never beat them. They never beat them. <laughs> they've got the Warriors, who put 30 on them with Kalen Ponga late last year. They'll flog the Tigers. They'll, they'll do a job on the Tigers. Uh, they'll probably beat the Dragons. And, you know, the Titans put, them, put 30 on them last start as well up there. Um, you know, I, I, I get where you're coming from, but I think the big the big mark is that Kalen Ponga isn't playing. Um, if Kalen Ponga was fit, 100% fit and playing, uh, there'd be a big argument for starting him, even though there's a couple of probably better options at fullback now with that draw. But he's not playing. Would I take cheapies at the Knights? Absolutely. Would I take some of the forwards we might talk about? Yeah, I might, but not with the draw. In mind. I don't see the backs that you will take for this draw. I don't, I don't see who you want to take that isn't obvious. Like, I would take cheapies i would take roll gold gun forwards if you think there is one a guy like clemmer you know what i mean but take who are you taking for that draw and who's putting them over for all those tries i don't i just don't see that with yeah that draw. no look it's valid points i mean look i think that it's just more that um if they're even if they're going to lose some of these games and i kind of made this point to um you know wilfred's got this little soft spot for the titans probably because they're only down yeah. the road from him in brisbane so he's got to have a little mm-hmm. soft spot for him you know, it, Wilford would make this point often that, oh, the Titans aren't bad. But no, nah, they're not. And look, they might, they might win games that the opposition actually scores really well in Supercoach because a lot of those games might be 36 mm. to 30 type of thing. So yeah. I don't necessarily, look, the, the Knights could lose four out of that starting six quite mm. easily, um, but still score a reasonable amount of points or at least for Supercoach. Mm. I do take your point though with the Fords. I think that the upside with the draw for the Fords um, is just that extra bonus that, you know, a guy that's only going to a forward that's only going to score sort of you know ten percent of the time anyway in his playing is probably going to score that that one try in that ten games mm. against the weaker middles and stuff. So I just it's not a huge deal. Like you wouldn't mm. you wouldn't get a four an edge forward like a Frizzell just for the draw, but I think it just helps as a little bonus. You know, it's a cherry on top of the Sunday type of thing. That if he's going to get a try, it's probably going to be in that first six weeks on that draw rather than. The next three, which I didn't get into because I didn't want to put Knights fans off, but after that first six weeks, you've got, you know, Penrith, Roosters, Raiders, which is a much harder yeah. three weeks. Yeah, no, look, that's fair enough. If you were looking at the, the price range, if you're looking at the price range of mid-500s and you're going to slot someone in, it's more appealing that, you know, um, the Warriors game, either Barnett or, or Frizzell is probably going to be marking Ben Murdoch, Masilla, Masilla, sorry, so, you know, something like that. You might go, yeah, you know what, they're going to stroll through some space in one of those games, and then the next one, they, the same guy might have Luciano marking up on, you know, and the, the Leilua's defending together. So there's, there, there will be a couple of options there, but I, yeah, I just, uh, the, the Ponga thing's big for me because I, I've just watched them play and this, the Knights have this bad habit of being really limp with the ball. We, they go to some games and within 10 minutes, I, I, see, I go to a mate with every game and we sit there and we look and we go, nah, nah, they've just not come today. They're, they're going to, they might get out of it, but they have this way of showing up some days and just totally not showing anything with the ball. And that's been an issue for a couple of years now. And if, if Pong is not playing, uh, <laughs> I'm just struggling to see. I think they'll try to win these games the way they won some last year. They had some periods of time. They got out of one with Manly early season. You guys might remember. Ugly, ugly, yeah, ugly football. Yeah. Yeah. And they drew Penrith, and it was similar. Like when, when they had some games like that, some without Ponga, some with him, where they couldn't do anything, but they just they tackled really well, and the forwards just plowed it up, and they went, you know what, we can't throw much, but we're just going to grind it out. And they got out of those games, and I could probably see them trying to play the Bulldogs and the Warriors and the Tigers by trying to dominate the middle and hoping, you know, putting kicks in the end goal and just trying to get a couple of tries and being too good. I, I think without Kalen, 
I've not seen any indication that they're going to be able to pick the lock and, and put points on. But, you know, it, as you said, it's a good draw. It's not going to hurt. And if you've got a guy anyway, sure. But I think the point when we disagreed about this before, a large point was if you're looking going, well, how do I capture this draw? I don't see a capture the draw player there. I don't see like a, if this was the Roosters draw, you'd, you'd grab Tupu or Brett Morris without a hesitation for that draw. You'd something like that. Or you could have a throw at the dice at someone like that. But I don't see really that player for us. Um, oh. that you would grab for the draw. Oh, mate, I'd be on the whole Roosters back line with that draw that you got. Yeah. <laughs> Every one of them. Yeah. Josh Morris won't ever get a cameo. Yeah. So let's start talking about the players for the Knights then. Uh, so gun-wise, you mentioned one of them already, and that's David Clemmer. Clemmer had a really good season. Uh, so he had his career best season in 2019 at 66 points a game, and he managed to up that and have another career best season in 2020. So the whole... Don't buy a guy off a career super coach season was completely put to bed with Clemmer. He he went up by a point. Um, his PPM actually went from 1.09 in 2019 to 1.18. And that was really important because his average minutes actually went down. So in 2019, he was averaging 61 minutes a game, which got him to his 66. And it was very minutes dependent. And a lot of the talk during that season, uh, for me included, was, you know, Clemmer deserves some props. But at the same time, he may not keep getting, you know, 60-plus minutes. That, that seems pretty high to what he was playing the year before. Uh, and lo and behold, in 2020, he went down to 57 minutes a game, which is probably closer to the mark on where I think he is. And with that, though, he upped his PPM and managed to do 67 points a game. So a couple of interesting things with it, Luke. His numbers were really, really impressive in 2020. 58 raw base, and he did that averaging more than two offloads a game in 2020. So I know that me and you had some discussions with Wilfred at times, uh, particularly early on in the season, um, where you rightly pointed out, you know, it's a small sample size at the moment. I'm, I don't, I'm not confident that you can say that this is going to be the new David Clemmer because we haven't seen enough of it before. We've basically seen none of it before with the meat and potatoes Clemmer, but he did it for the whole year. So it's pretty clear now that he's an offloader. He finished second overall in the NRL, only behind Junior Paulo in offloads for 2020. And, you know, he did his 58 raw base and he did his... Um, 67 points per game average for the year without any tries, any line breaks, or any try assists. Now, obviously, someone like David Clemmer isn't going to get heaps, but if he just gets one of each of those, that pushes him into a 70s average. Now, the front row forward position is obviously pretty barren most of the time. We've now got Payne Huss out as an alpha first pick, sort of Payne Huss front row forward type for a round one team in a lot of squads. Clemmer comes in at 592,000. Now, I haven't been a, a big fan of Clemmer before, but he actually looks pretty good for this season based on what we've seen the last two years now. And you could even argue there's a bit of upside because, you know, zero attack when he's played the whole 20 games last year. Um, it's unlikely that'll happen again. He'll, he'll get something. Now, if I'm going to go for the against argument, Luke, what I probably would point out is that um, how he finished was maybe a bit of a concern. He had a five-round average of only 55 his last five games. Um, and only 12 games out of his 20, he went 60-plus, um, although he only had two that were sub-50. So for that kind of price tag, you'd probably want him to be more consistently, you know, 60s, 70s, and have a few higher games that he doesn't really get. But, you know, I, I find it pretty hard to go with that argument. I, I, I would not tell anyone that's buying David Clemmer for round one, especially with Tarsia, not to do it. Yeah, I think that's all pretty fair. It's quite funny, you know. Uh, David Clemmer's had a big rap on him for a long time and been considered a very alpha player. And his stats the last two years have been the best they have ever been. And I don't think anyone's ever been lower than him on him in real terms. <laughs> he missed the Origin squad. 
Um, I was really critical of him actually last year as well. And the Knights have left him out of the leadership group altogether. And it's quite funny because statistically, if you looked at the game on paper, yeah, he looks fantastic. Um, yeah, in a super coach terms, I just think he's safe. Uh, I wasn't looking at him before Haas. Uh, I will now. I probably won't start him, but only because I, I want to have a look at someone we'll talk about later in the Roosters section. But I, I don't think if you're locking him in, if you want one or two gun props to start the season with Haas out, I think Clemmer's in the top couple. Um, the offloading thing will be interesting. The, the style of game the NRL is want, should be played under with the pace means that he should keep trying to do that. In the past, we have seen a lot that big, prolific offloaders can get watched a bit closer the next year, um, and people try and wrap them up. You hear that offload, offload when they've got the ball, and all of a sudden people come around the back and block it off. Guys like Jai Arrow spring to mind, the guys who have thrown a lot of ball all of a sudden a year or two, everyone's looking for it, and it doesn't seem to happen. So that's some risk, but with the... The Knights are going to carry him and Safidi in the front row. They're probably going to play small ball lock. That's all the talk is they're going to play a little lock forward and they're going to use Jacob Safidi off the bench. So once you have those guys, and you probably have Barnett rotate through at points, but once you have those three, there's a fairly big drop off to whoever's going to come in next. They're probably going to look at having um, those three play pretty good minutes. They'll probably have Barnett rot- rotate through there as a fourth. Uh, they'll have the little guy in the middle most of the game, and they'll probably play Suaso Sue or um, or uh, Solo, one or the other, off the bench as another one, and neither of them will play very many minutes. So I think, realistically, the minutes are safe enough that if he puts the offload away, he's just not going to get burnt on the price. He's still probably going to get scores similar to what other guys are putting out, and you could even jump off onto someone who's come out a bit harder if if someone... You know, you might. So we always look one year and someone's cheap and, and has a really good run. So you might be able to jump off him. I don't think you'll get hurt. So I, I'd have no hesitation starting him. Um, with the offloading, it's it's hard to say, isn't it? It's because I don't understand why it drops off the next year because it's like teams start looking for it a year later, but he has to do it for a whole year. Nobody stops it. And then you come back the next year and guys seem to drop off. It happens all the time. So it'll be interesting. But look, he's obviously looking to do it. The Knights want him to do it. And why would you stop? It's such a good tool with the six again rule getting a guys up and then getting the offload then making the play and getting that quick play the ball with no one on side where you can't hold the ruck down it, it, it makes sense and it makes sense for Newcastle yeah they need to play fast football Pierce likes to play fast he's a terrible slow ball player he likes to play quickly and he likes to play across the advantage line that's where Kalen Ponger is suited and why would you not they've got Tex Hoy's going to play there play a similar way I, I don't see why you wouldn't play that style of football so you know, I think he's safe. That's what I'd say. He's not going to be sexy. You're not going to get the crow to your friends that you picked him up and he scored 95 as your captain, but he's safe in the front row and there's a lot to be said for that, building safe forwards at the start of your super coach season. Yeah, I think he's pretty decent value at 590k. Mm. You know, if he was 650, which some of the other um, more fancy forwards are, I think that it's too much money for him. But 590, I think safe's a good word for him. He's He's going to give you that. And, yeah. you know, when I said, you know, the thing against him is if you want to look at the glass half empty argument, you know, the last five rounds, he only averaged 55. That's a pretty good floor. You know, it's not like our oh, yeah. last five games, he averaged 45, you know, 55 is fine. And I think that he is one of those guys as well that if you were super concerned because some front row forwards kind of came in, and busted it up and went great, like a Murdoch Masala that you mentioned, if he goes fantastic at 330k and you didn't see it coming and you're about to hit the first price rises um, from round three, you could downgrade a David Clemmer. 
um, if you needed to to free up cash. And you'd know you could buy him back later on at basically a similar type of price. And you would also be able to trade him out at a similar type of price. He's not going to drop. You're not going to have to panic trade him out either. So you can definitely hold him because he's not going to drop 50 or 100 grand in that first drop. Um, so very safe is a very good word. Uh, I would rank him in probably the top three odd front row forwards to have um, for the start of the season. My front row forward build is going to be a gun and a, a mid-range guy. So mm. I don't have Clemmer either. And I think it's because we're both on the same guy, Luke. So we'll talk about that a bit later. <laughs> um, let's move on to Frizzell, though, another guy in the pack. He he actually had a career year. It, was, it came through pretty unexpected for me. Um, so he averaged 63 points a game. And, you know, that sounds impressive. Um, he's coming off years where in 2019 it was, it was 47, 2018 it was 56 a game, 2017 it was 50 a game. He, he always had the, the tag of being a bit of a plotter for Supercoach, and rightfully so, even though he'd hit some attacks sometimes or whatever. He also had um, injury concerns where, you know, he'd only missed sort of an average of three or four games a year the five years prior to last year, but at the same time he was sort of limping around or had a sore back or whatever for other games that he actually played. So he was always a no-go for me. But he's come over the nights, and I kind of think that he'll have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because he really wanted to leave and, and kind of had the shits with, with the Dragons by this point. So he's coming in, um, he's only turning 30 this year, which is never great, but it's not too old. So maybe have another good year. I think the couple of numbers that really stood out for me he averaged 63 a game, which is a really big increase from 47 a game in 2019. Now, that, on paper, that looks well. Wow, that's 15 points up. How can he possibly sustain that? Or 16 points up, actually. It all comes down to the minutes. So in 2019, he only averaged 57 minutes a game. And in 2020, he was an 80-minute player. Um, that's the big difference. In 2019, he was playing, um, you know, a, a third of his games were in the middle, starting 13 jersey type of thing. So you'd expect his base to be up a little bit more than what it was. But... You know, 52 raw base in the 2020 season is phenomenal for someone who played edge forward the entire year. Um, 52 raw base is great. Up 10 points from 2019 in his raw base. Um, that seems legitimately what his role will be. I can't see him not doing 80 minutes coming over as a big money signing to the Knights. He is a guy that should be pumped up for the start of this season. Um, and he is a guy that can cause a bit of havoc when he's healthy running on some edges. And like I mentioned, there is some weak edges there. Uh, so guys like um, Frenzel and Barnett are definitely two of the guys that I would mainly think could take advantage of that um, six-week run of maybe some weaker teams that they're up against. So 556k Frizzell comes in at. There is a lot of good secondary forwards, which we've spoken about a lot on this podcast. But if you couldn't afford those guys... Frizzell's kind of in that, um, maybe like that Nathan Brown type of bracket where he's, you know, 100k lower than the big guns, but, you know, probably 50 to 100k more than maybe going for those mid-range options that you can take a punt on. I'm I'm not going to be going near him, but it wouldn't surprise me very much as a pod option because no one will own him, that he starts off his Knights career pretty well. Yeah, uh, hard pass, hard pass for me. Um, I, I think... They, with the pitch that they sold him on to come here, uh, he would have got money wherever he went, but the pitch they sold him on, and not to really sort of bag on the Dragons, but it sounds pretty funny that you could do this when you to sign an international back rower, but O'Brien got him into a meeting, put up a, um, like, put up a sort of a display or whatever, whatever they're called, those presentations on the computer, and was like, 
we've got this plan to make you a better player and this is how we want to use you as an attacking weapon. Um, you'd like to think that the other club that had him might have thought that he could be an attacking <laughs> weapon, but, but they didn't. And basically the talk was you're being used as a battering ram. They've been tactful in how they say this publicly because they don't want to bag St. George, but basically they got him in a room and said, you're being used as a battering ram. We want to use you as an attacking threat, and we think we can use you that way. So what I think you will find is I think you'll be, there'll be a lot of plays designed around Frizzell, and that will include plays where he gets the ball to attack the line, but it will also include kick-out style. It will include him being left out. It will include him being the decoy. It'll be, you know, big run, big run, being left out. But I think you'll find the plan is not for him to do the level of work, perhaps, that he has done before and to be left to do a lot more of the attacking, both in a decoy and in running the ball role. I just don't think the base will be enough. I think the base will drop a bit. And do I think the attack will be enough to make it up? Not enough for you to buy. I think there'll be some times where he'll get it on. But I would almost be tempted. Uh, it's hard because the good draws at this time, but I'd be tempted to have a look later. If Newcastle have a good run later in the season when Kalen's back, I'm in. But Kalen's your man. You want to see a guy hit edge back rows at the Newcastle Knights, Kalen's got to play. It's not going to happen off Tex Hoy. It's not going to happen off Mitchell Pierce, And I don't believe it'll happen off Blake Green. I've watched enough of those guys play football, um, two of them at first grade level for a long time, and, and Tex coming through the grades. None of them have that pick-the-lock style of play where they isolate someone and hit the back rower on the crash play, the play you think of with Cooper Cronk hitting the um, all the Roosters back rowers or Proctor before that at Melbourne, the way he would run and do that, the way that, that Kalen does it now, and the way Thurston and, and Gavin Cooper, those back row plays, I don't see who's doing that for Newcastle. They will run the play, but it will be clunky because it doesn't have the guy with the class to do it there for the first six weeks. That's my issue. If you had Kalen there, I'd be a lot more up for this discussion of Knight's edge back rowers in that draw, but they're short on guys. That's never been Piercy's style. He'll give it to the back rower, but he'll give it to him with two guys in front of him, Luke Brooks style. <laughs> that's yeah. that's very fair. And like I don't think like the next guy we're going to talk about is a big balls pod that's on the other edge. Um, but I actually like him better than what I do Frizzell. Um, but you know, I think that it's probably um, somewhere in the middle between, you know, Frizzell's career year last year um, and what he's done in the past. So probably that base, you know, I don't think it's going to be 42, but mm. instead of 52, it might be 45, 46. And that's probably where I peg him at when I look at the numbers projections. That's not going to be great. And he isn't a guy with prolific offloads and stuff. Even though I'm fairly positive on him starting well for the Knights in real life, um, I'm not going to buy him. But I could, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see him go on a three game run of good scores, you know, maybe average sort of 70 or something for a few games. That could easily happen. Um, I, I think that he will go over for a try in his first six weeks, um, and that'll get his, his numbers up a little bit. There's probably too many better options, um, to go there, but, uh, for, for draft, um, you know, he could be value for draft when you're looking at some of the later round picks as well. Um, and for betting, I reckon, if you're going to have a look one week, particularly when Pong is back, if they've got an easy game, if we can bet on Supercoach stuff now, you get the right week and have a real crack at him going over for two off Ponger or something and getting a really big score, I think that wouldn't be a bad bet um, with Supercoach stuff coming into betting now. I reckon that'd be on. That'd be a really good smoky one week when he's had a few low weeks, bang him in to get a double on someone or something like that. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah. with their draw as well, um, mm. you know, sort of five or six weeks in um, could be good. Uh, let's move on to the other edge back rower, and that is uh, Mitchell Barnett. We've got him as a big balls pod, and I, I kind of I like the style of player that Mitchell Barnett is. Um, whether he can actually produce that on a consistent basis for Supercoach remains to be seen. Um, but he is a big guy. He can play middle and edge. Uh, he is a guy that is slated to play the edge. 
Um, but at the moment, you know, a lot of the rumours and predicted teams are that we're going to have Connor Watson at 13 and Barnett on an edge, and then Barnett will rotate into the middle 13 jersey, which gives him a mix of edge and also a bit of uh, middle work rate. Now, he is a guy that, if you have a look at his numbers, they look good. 70-plus minute games last year, he had a 68-point-per-game average. Um, he was second in the Knights with offloads, with two per game, uh, and only had one line-break try, uh, which is kind of unlike him when he does play on the edge, because he normally does provide a bit more attack than that. So the year before, he actually had seven tries in 21 games in 2019. Uh, so basically one in three games he was scoring on his average. And a 49 base in 2020 was actually very solid for an edge back row as well. He is someone who's going to go in and do the work. I'm just always a sucker for guys that um, have a good draw as a forward, as an edge back rower that can attack because they do have that upside, like I said, that, you know, if they're going to get a try, it's probably going to be one of these games. And he is a guy that in 2019 we saw score, you know, one in every three games type of thing. Um, and he does have a really solid base and work rate, but it's I'm a sucker for the base attack. Guys that can offload and tackle break, I, I love having in my side. Um, his 68-point-per-game average looks really good when he's playing 70-plus minutes a game. We had a bit of a disagreement on Barnett as well. Um, my point was that he was sort of coming in Pretty valuable um, at his price point, and the numbers sort of say that there's a chance that he could have a really good season. At 543k, Mitchell Barnett isn't going to break the bank. He's probably cheaper than just about all of the upper echelon to, to mid-echelon star type of options. Like, he's cheaper than a Frizzell, 40 grand cheaper than a Nathan Brown sort of thing. Um, those mid-tier sort of options, he looks really good in as far as value. Uh, the question that you brought up was valid, Luke, in that, well, you know, is he going to play 80 minutes now? I made the point to you that when I'm looking at his numbers, I need him to play 80 minutes. Um, really, 70-plus minutes is fine, but whether that happens or not, um, you know, we can't really be sure. So I understand your pessimism with him. Um, my glass half full approach is, yeah, as a pod, there's no one that's going to own him. And if he does play um, somehow, you know, 70 minutes or even 65, uh, he could come through with a really good average. You know, he's averaged 61 and 62 points the last two years in what has always been affected seasons, where he's been thrown around in different roles as well as, or just, um, you know, injured as well, which he had a bad injury last year. So I, I do see appeal there. Um, I'm not saying that I'm going to buy him, but if I wanted a real left field option, um, he is one that's there and he is one that I could see hang with the big guns and, and potentially even break out this year if he gets the minutes and opportunity. Yeah, look, Barney is one of my favourite players. I love how he plays. He's a real. He's got a lot of mungo in him and a lot of attack. He, uh, remember his first year at Newcastle, he'd like knock a bloke over with a huge shoulder charge, getting a shove and, and then kick for himself. He's got that sort of real loose loose unit feel about him. He's got a bit of the Nathan Browns and that sort of thing. I have some breaking news for you that's happened since we started doing this. I've got oh, an yeah. alert on my phone. So uh, Wacko has just posted that Lachlan Fitzgibbon's hurt his shoulder and is going to miss the start of the season. Oh, um, see you, mate. Well, that significantly helps Barnett's uh, chances of getting 80 minutes, but it's also significantly suggests they'll all be on the edge. I don't necessarily disagree with you that he's a, a, not a bad option. I think, I, I, again, without Ponga, I'm not prepared to commit overly to the Knights' draw and say that that's when he's going to get the attack. But, uh, look, I'm going to backtrack on myself from saying that a little bit to you. And so the thing with Barnett, the one criticism I've ever had of him is as the team got better, he became in some ways a little bit less useful. But when we were coming last, he used to throw all these wild offloads, step and pass the ball and 
set all this up. And when we had a, started to have a better team, he wasn't that good at actually running the lines of Pierce and Ponger and these better players. <laughs> and so if someone has got to step up, if we have, it sounds really silly because he's the back rower, but, but quite seriously, in the same way that you might expect Kickout to do it with Cleary or whoever out, Barnett is the sort of player that if Ponger is out and they're struggling to score, that they might just give the ball to and he might take it on himself to, to do a bit. He's got a history of getting try assists off you know, wild offloads, like four people on him, flicks it through his leg or round his back or goes for it, and then the guy goes over and scores off it. That sort of thing can happen with Barney. I'll say as well, and I'll jump yeah. in there, that he is a guy that does create stuff himself, and you've kind of hit the yeah. nail on the head there with that too. Like, I, a lot of the tries that I saw him score out of those seven the year before, it was really him. It wasn't like he was getting a plumb ball. like, And that's what Fitzgibbon made his career on. Like, he got, he got made to look good just by running some good lines. Barnett normally just sort of, you know, there was a couple of times that I think he even got through from dummy half where it was like 25 out and he's just picked up the ball and just gone and just yeah. done his Barnett stuff and just gone through, you know. So it, maybe that's not as concerning that they don't have Ponga or a great ball player to give him ball. You know, if he kind of steps up, like you said, he, he sort of makes stuff happen and those line break assists as well, you know, we're all him. Yep. Look, I, I think that's fair. In fact, that yeah, the problem is he's probably missed opportunities to score off Ponger and that, to be honest, because <laughs> he, he lacks a bit of polish. But I'll backtrack on that a little bit and say he's not a bad option. I'll just There's probably two things, but not much sad to what you said. I think he's an all right option. Would I start him? No reason. Um, I think I, when I knock back some of these guys you're talking about in this group, and I've done it to Purcell, again, it's not that I think they're going to be terrible options. I just honestly think you've got the wrong build if you're not going for – you know, your Crichtons, your Talmalolos, your Maddos, or going cheaper, you know, like there's going to be guys, there is every year, there is guys that start on the edge back row for 300 grand and stuff like that. It always, we always get one. Um, and there's talk of yet a few guys like that this year, you guys, you know, your Murdoch Massillas in the 300s, even your Sean Bloors down in the twos. There's going to be players that will get big minutes in the forwards, um, unexpectedly or get an edge roll for 60 to 80 minutes playing on not a lot of coin. And personally, with the way I think forwards are critically important to super coach, I think if you pay 540, 550, I just think you pay the extra and go all the way. Or if you don't have it, I, I just think you try and get 50 points out of someone who's really cheap and not costing you much because you go and pay 300 for something, you got 200 grand to, to get your Cleary or to get your Munster, to get your Tedesco, whoever, Cook, whatever you want to do. I, I just personally think I want, I'm either all in and I've got all three of the big guns in my second row and I, I will be doing that. And if I had to get rid of one, which I don't think I will, I, I'd be going cheaper. That's, that's really my only knock. Um, but I will add one thing, and this is really left field. Don't take this as definitely going to happen at all, but it's worth keeping an eye on. Uh, Mitchell Barnett now is one of basically only two players with Ponga out that has kicked before in his career. It will probably be Tex Hoy starting the season, but if Tex Hoy was to get injured or kick particularly badly or whatever else, Barnett's not a bad goal kicker. He's hit him all right when he's played, and he probably is now literally the backup. And if, you know... I'm, I don't think he'll kick, but Hoy's all right. He's not amazing. He's okay. Um, if he got hurt, if he doesn't play well, if he's shanking him, Barney's hovering around the goal kicking, and if he was to get that, I'd, he'd be in quicker than blinking. Mate, the, <laughs> the, the hairs on my arm just stood up there. I'm so <laughs> excited now. It's just... <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it'll happen, but he's a lefty, and he hits him like most lefties. He hits him nice. Those, they got, it's like when they bat and cricket in the top of they've got a beautiful swing. He hits him nice as a lefty, and, uh, you know, uh, 
if I had to, if I had him in a kickoff with Hoy, I don't think he would miss many more. They'll probably go to Hoy because he's a fullback and probably not going to be his buggered, and he'll definitely be on the field the whole time. But if you know, he shanks the first few. He doesn't want to kick. He gets injured. If he gets injured and they've got five weeks without him and Ponga, I think Barney will be close to being the kicker. He's probably the backup. I know he practices, so just keep it in mind. If we get the right injuries, you, you know, you might be around there and he'd be in the team so fast. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say right off the bat there that if we know before round one that he's kicking. He's straight in my team. There's no way he's not. Um, that's very, very outside chance. I'm not saying that'll happen, but if it did, agreed, straight in. So probably the builds that like like I've got the same build as you at the moment, which has Angus, uh, Tom Alala, and Madison. And I've said before many times on the podcast, Madison was my first pick. There's no way I'm getting rid of him. Um, Tom Alala's been in and out, but I, I probably have to just have him. Um, and Angus, you know, likely will be staying as well, but. A build that I did toy with was um, having, you know, a third second row forward there because to me, second row forward is a really good value position where you can get a lot out of it, um, and I think a lot of super coaches agree with that. Um, it's kind of like it's not as good as fullback as far as your stacked, you know, fullback options mm. that are going to get bulk points, but it, it's pretty close um, as far and it's definitely more important than front row forward. So certainly, I've gone cheap in the front row forward. Um, and I, or I've just gone like one guy, which is what I've got at the moment is one guy and then three guys that are worth nothing, basically, mm. that are sort of that rookie to, to 250, 280 price point. Um, and if you roll with that, you can sort of say, well, instead of a second front row forward, I'm just going to spend on a reserve second row forward and have someone like Barney mm. there. And I think that there is a lot of cause to say that, that that is one of the several ways that you can skin super coach and you can go that way and be quite successful because you're not you're not missing out on the, the big gun guys that you ride. I think it's going to be very hard not to have. Um, but you are probably getting better value out of a Mitchell Barnett than, say, a, you know, the, a David Clemmer, which is going to be maybe a second front row forward for you. Yeah, I, look, I could buy that as long as you, as long as your second front rower is someone that's going to get you to forty something. Um, because really, we're all playing someone at round one. We're all going to play a cheapy back or something who we cross our fingers for a try, but usually gets twenty. Yeah. Um, so if you're taking that out of your team, the guy who's you know just sucks and you're praying for a try and you put forty something into, the, let's say a Matt Lodge or something in the front row and he scores in the forties or gets you out of jail, then yeah, instead of a second prop, I, I don't, I, I could buy that, but. Yeah, uh, my comment to that would be, yeah, okay, if he's your fourth and that's your build and you can afford to do that, I can buy you taking a pun on someone like Barney and he's definitely a guy who could get you a pod 90 or a pod 100, something like that, um, early doors. But I, I, if you're playing three, which, you know, the basic template of three, I, I think you're doing it wrong if you don't buy three good ones or if you're not going there, go cheaper. That, that's just my thoughts on it. If you're playing four, fine, but I don't know. I I feel funny about if you want to go real cheap there, go real cheap there. Don't go Barnett. One, it's only, you know, Tamalolo's really in the scheme of things, not that much more expensive. But if he's your fourth, yeah, and playing is basically a second prop, yeah, I can wear that. I, I keep, every time I sort of go away from Barnett, um, I keep going back to the fact that when he was playing 70 plus minutes on an edge, he had 68 points a game, you know, and he's, he's priced at 61. You know, like I, that's enough. Those are numbers that I can't get out of my head. And he did that average with just the one one line break try, you know. So it's not like it's even inflated by a heap of tries and stuff. So his numbers really stack up. But whether he can come through with the goods on that, you know, it remains to be seen. I do think Fitzgibbon being out um, is really going to help him, like you said, though. What? But just to finish up on Barnett quickly, where would you pin his minutes at now that we know that Fitzgibbon's oh. out? 
if if we know that, and it is only Wacko, so he's usually right, but he's saying out for the start of the year. If that's true, if he is definitely out for the start of the year, um, fits, I don't see why Barney won't play 80 minutes on the edge. They won't carry an edge player that will take minutes off him. Um, they don't have anyone. That Guerra's left the club and was terrible last year anyway. Um, but that he's gone. Uh, that you know, there's there's Brody Jones, who's a young guy that plays okay. There, I don't think they'll take anyone off and put them on that edge for Barney. And if they did, it would be to get Barney to the middle to spell someone. I don't see a scenario where they would put someone on the putting anyone else we have on that edge is a big drop now. So if you're making mm. that level of drop, it's to get Barney to the middle, not to get him off the field because he can play 80 minutes. Um, yeah, I, I think he's an intriguing option. I think he's a really good player. I think there's been times when his attack has been amazing and we expect it to kick on and it goes dull and he scores 45s. Um, but he's a, he has the ability to pick up his work rate sometimes and make up for that. It can be hard with a few mouths to feed in the middle, whether he won't get as much work. But I, look, I don't think he'll hurt you too badly. He might get a 40 somewhere and you'll hate him, but he'll probably make it up with a 90 as well down the line. He's, he's a good player. I'm very fond of him. He's probably that sort of guy. If, in real talk, if he was in, if we still had city country, I think he'd be at that level of player. He probably doesn't make the origin team, but he'd be yep. in sort of your city country. And if he played for the Roosters or the Storm or something, I think everyone would be dead set all over him and he'd be always talked about as an origin bolter, just miss out, and everyone would say he was heaps unlucky. Yeah. Basically, be Dale Finucane style, where Finucane got talked yeah. into an origin jersey because he played for the store for so long, yeah. I reckon. That's right. If you're at the right club, you get the profile. I mean, Victor Radley's one. Like, he, he is a guy, I would suggest to you, he hasn't done anywhere near as much in his career as Barnett has, but he plays for the right club, and he, he's good. Mm. So... I'm not saying these players are bad. I'm saying when you're good and play at the right club, the hype builds a lot better than if you play for a club out of Sydney. Yep. Unless it's the Broncos. You play for the Titans, the Knights, the, you know, the Raiders. You can fly unders a bit and how good you are. And he's a really good player. Yeah. Really good player. Uh, 100% agree with you. Let's move on to another big balls pod that is a gigantic Sam Cassell big balls dance pod. And if anyone Pass. follows basketball, <laughs> yeah, Sam Cassell does his big balls dance where... He's carrying them around his kneecaps, and that's the size that you need to even look at this one. I'm going to put a caveat here right right away, mm-hmm. okay? I, when we're talking about big balls pods or these type of guys that might have some big games or whatever, it's not like we're saying you've got to buy them or whatever. It's because Supercoach is fun, and part of that fun is going through everybody, looking at all the options and stuff, checking them out. Um, and part of the fun is being different sometimes as well, and sometimes people just want to have fun and Pick players that no one else has. That's fine. Have have fun with it, whatever. Um, and, you know, sometimes uh, some of these guys can come off for runs. And so I'm not suggesting that we're going to... Um, I'm going to buy this guy at all. But there is some things to look at for Mitchell Pierce. He had a very up-and-down off-season, let's say. <laughs> um, so as far as his numbers go, though, you know, he's coming off 51 points a game in 2020. It's basically what he did for the couple of years before. Um, you know, he, in 2017, he had his 62 points a game, and before that was pretty similar, I think, from memory as well. And he's sort of come in the last few years at the Knights and been around a 50-point player, which isn't anything special. Um, it isn't anything to, to grab on the super coach. But I've said many times on this podcast, Luke, that um, there's a lot of guys that, you know, you don't have to just buy guys because they're guns and because they're keepers. You, there's a lot of players that can be valuable just as a run player. Um, mm. And that's... That's basically where I put a Mitchell Pierce. You know, very similar to a Luke Curie. You know, you don't want to own Luke Curie for the year. You don't want to own Luke Curie as a keeper. But if he's got to run a game for three or four weeks and he's bottom dollar, um, and you can make a bit of cash out of it and get a couple of good scores, he's a run player. 
Um, much of the centre wing is basically all run players. So Pierce came in from last year uh, off a 26 raw base average, which is pretty solid for a half. Had two big tons against poor sides, which I think maybe bodes well for the draw. Uh, and he had a similar type of run of games near the start of 2019 where he just went crazy, you know. So it's it's remarkable the, the five-round run that he had in 2019 was against many of the clubs that he's actually playing in his first six weeks. And he had a five-round run in 2019 from around sort of round five or six where he averaged 91 points a game. And he only had two tries last year as well, which was a career low. So mm-hmm. he is the definition of a run player, but a high-risk run player that has a very good chance of not coming off as well. One of the things that I will give to Piercy is, you know, he... Did last year not have a huge amount of real low games, um, but he didn't have very many good games either. You know, he was probably the definition of a plot. A lot of 40s and 50s. Um, mm. Didn't have anything sort of in, aside from his last game where he scored a 28, you know, all these other games are at least 30s and he only had a few of those. You know, he wasn't going to give you a bombet worthy score at all. Um, and his base was pretty decent. He's not a great super coach option at all. Um, he's coming in at 450k. He is a guy where I'd say I will target him in draft because I think that he's going to up his value with uh, Ponger out in the first sort of month of football. I guess for you, Luke, you know, look, we've seen Mitchell Pearce go on runs. You know, I just said there was a five-round average of 91 that he went on where he looked like the best player in the comp just about for that five rounds as far as what he was doing. I think that he was on top of the Dallium leaderboard by a big margin, like six or seven points or something at that point. Um, We've seen him go on these sort of runs before. They've got a good draw. Kalen Pong is out, so he's going to be dominating the ball quite a bit. Blake Green's more of a, you know, kicking and sort of um, managing the side on the field type of thing. He's not going to dominate possessions that much, I don't think. Um, so is there a chance that, you know, someone like PC does step up, especially with the off-season stuff where he probably feels bad and kind of has a bit of a chip on his shoulder and kind of owes it to his teammates to have a good start to the year? Uh, no, not interested, but pros and cons uh, for the sake of it. I'll give you pros. Mitchell has a fairly good history of when he stuffs things up off the field, which happens a bit. Uh, he tends to really fire up when he comes back to footy. Uh, it seems to that Mitchell's pattern for a long time seems to be he gets comfortable, starts playing not all that well, things are dropping off, something drastic happens in his life, like he gets suspended for, for his antics in that hotel room, he, the, the girl thing <laughs> with the, um, the origin, or even just being booted from, from East was one where after that happened. Um, and the latest being the, the, the tech scandal is whenever something like that happens, it's like he's got a bit comfy, he's getting on the drink again, people, you just hear the odd story that he's getting about and not being... Not never doing anything that's really like, oh my god, this is appalling, but just always just low grade sort of trouble. And then he gets caught for something, there's a scandal, and he swears off the drink, trains his ass off, and he tends to play his best football when he comes back. And that's happened quite a number of times now, probably three or four times in his career, that when you hit a low point with Mitchell off the field, he comes back well. Um, but that's probably the pro. The other pro is he is a runs player. He's the definition of it. He goes on runs and he goes cold. So you could have a punt on him making the run. The, the cons for me are you've got it. It's so important. I, I think it's fair to say that if you tried to play super coach without watching the games and just on the stats, you couldn't do it. You've got to watch them to pick things up. The yep. eye test is very important. Uh, I've obviously watched every game he's ever played for Newcastle. Um, I watched a lot of the games he played for East. He, uh, last year's the worst he's ever looked. He he he's in trouble. Um, he 
has never looked – when Mitchell Pierce was at his best, he had this robust running style where he went direct and he goes snap and he, he carries it into the traffic and makes these powerful runs mm. and gets people off. He's a pretty big halfback as well. Like yeah. He's had, always had good size. It's the size of his dad, who's one of the best locks ever. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and he, he – um, last year, he went to try and find it a few times. And he couldn't do it. It happened early, mid, late in the year. He'd go, snap. There was just, we had him running backwards, and he'd go, bang off his foot. And you're like, oh, that's ineffective. It just looked like some normal guy doing it, not Mitchell Pierce. That that power was lacking. They've never come out and said he was injured. People have speculated. But, you know, we've never been told, so we can only go off that. He's never missed more tackles. He missed more tackles than anyone in the competition. That's never happened. If there's one thing, there's a lot of criticisms of Mitchell Pierce, and if none of them have ever been involved him not being hard, tough, and good in defense. And he missed tackles. He's never made more errors. And he he just didn't look it with the ball. I tell you, as watching him, that snap in his step was gone. That power was gone. And is it gone for good? I don't know. But he's 31. He's played by 300 NRL games. It's all, he's very old in NRL terms, put it that way. He's, he might be not that old in age, but he's been playing in the NRL since he was in school. He's never missed a lot of time injured. So he's played a lot of football. He hasn't had a lot of breaks. And he probably had one injury for the Knights, and he had a suspension at the Roosters. And otherwise, he hasn't missed much footy. And I think, to me, he's on the wrong side of 30. I think if you're on the wrong side of 30, you've played 300 games and you're watching him and you see what's objectively his least effective year in terms of power, in terms of tackling, in terms of everything. I'm not prepared to go there the next year. Can he come back? Yeah, he can. He's had a long career. He's a good player. Maybe he will. Not prepared to bet on it. And and the kicker for me is that he's 450K. Mitchell Moses is 481K. Mitchell Moses kicks goals. Mitchell Moses has a big run of games at, at Bank West early in the year. Um, he's more likely to be a guy you'll hold all year. I'm not saying you will, but if you were going to stump up, halfback could be a spot where we don't get a cheapie. Big chance we don't. If we don't get one and we don't get a, a, a two, 300K guy and you think, you know what, I need to find a second one, I'd be finding 30K for Moses who kicks goals, has a run of games at Parramatta. Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't be starting Moses and the starting halfback, put it that way. But if you're going to that price range, to me, Moses is more likely, just as likely to go on a run and more likely to be a hold and has the floor of the goal kicking. So, uh, uh, Luke, you've stolen my player comparison, mate. I was about to bring up Moses. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's a great comparison because that's a similar type of price point. Um, and I've got Moses in my side at the moment. I've, I've mentioned that several times. And I've got Moses because he's got a good run of games, he's goal-kicking, and he's a guy that can throw a heap of tries. Pierce has a good run of games, and he's a guy that can throw a heap of tries on his runs as well, um, which is why I think that you you know, you know warrant having a look and going through the tape and stuff. But if Moses wasn't there, you'd probably look at him a little bit more, probably still can't go there. But with Moses there, uh, you have to go for Moses if you're going to take a big swing, and I, I don't mind that swing with Moses. Wouldn't surprise me if Pierce does have a good run of games here, though. Uh, I think... I actually think it's better than a 50-50 chance that he does because I think his usage is going to be up and a lot of it is about opportunity. He's going to have all the opportunity in the world to make things happen. wouldn't surprise me if he makes a heap of mistakes but still ends up getting a heap of stats that stick just because he's going to have so much to do with Kalen Ponger out and against not so good as sides. I reckon with opportunity too, a lot of that comes down to money, which we've spoken about before. You know, Mitchell Pierce at 350k, no cheapies around. I would actually be pretty interested in that. At 450k, I can't possibly do it even with the run, but, you know, wait and see. You know, these sort of guys can go on runs and, and Piercy could do it and probably the two people that own him will, will rejoice. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, a guy that I've actually got labelled as a bit of a mistake or error, um, which is going to be unpopular with some people, possibly even you, Luke, uh, and that's Daniel Saifidi. He is 
a front row forward as well, much like David Clemmer. He comes in at a similar price point, albeit slightly cheaper at 560000 And he's coming off a uh, 2020 season where he averaged 63 points a game. So really interesting that in 2019, in very similar minutes, 45 minutes versus 48 minutes in 2020, he averaged, you know, he managed to double his score plus more from 2019 to 2020. He went up by about 55% from 41 points a game in 2019 to 63 points a game in 2020. Now, that was a, a big rise in his averages um, for pretty similar minutes. My thing last year was always I can't grab a guy for the type of price points that he was at, and certainly at the round one price point of 560, I feel the same, who's going to play sub-50 minutes. Um, it's just a real concern for me. He actually had three line break tries last year as well, which in, in front row forward terms is actually decent. You know, it's not high, but it's certainly not low. It's it's a it's sort of average to above average as far as tries and line breaks go. Um, and he only had 13 appearances. So 3 and 13 is actually verging on good for a prop. So there's that in there as well, which may not happen. Um, I didn't like him last year, but he had a really good run of games. Um, it is a smaller sample size with 13 games as well, which was interrupted a couple times through the season because of injuries and so forth. I don't see him averaging 63 points a game. Uh, maybe he averages 55, which will still be a lot better than what he's done before. Um, but I, I see him as very much a, a stay away for me, Luke. Yeah, for Supercoach, yep, absolutely. Um, you want to hear something controversial? He's the best front rower in the Newcastle Knights club, and it's not all that close, so take that what you will. <laughs> but um, quite genuinely, if, if we had to get rid of one, it wouldn't be him. But um, he he had a fantastic season. Uh, he's been a talent for a long time. Um, he's a funny one. He slipped under a few radars how good he is because he played in such a bad Knights team. So he played earlier than he would have. And he went from not playing to being the starting front rower in the Knights sort of a lot earlier than he would have been. And again, to make a comparison to better clubs, we, we won one game one year that he played. And, you know, if he was at the Roosters, he would have spent a year off the bench playing 20 minutes. And people go, oh, he looks all right. Then next year it's 30 minutes. And then all of a sudden, and in three years, you've got this good player. Whereas for him, he's sort of immediately gone to being a 40-something minute starting front rower, had flaws. And just over the last year or two, he's just hit the age where he's starting to peak and we're seeing his best football. Um, and, and it feels like he's been around forever, but he hasn't. He, he, he's, you know, he's quite young. Uh, I think he, for super coach, no, nah, not interested. I think with him, he's got really good attacking ability. I think they'll use him to try and score near the line. But I think what you'll find is that last year was so good that that's the best scenario. And it might happen again because he does have that ability. He's got wonderful leg drive. He's very, very powerful. He's very strong in the contact. So you can put him over near the try line and he busts off people. Him and his brother had this wonderful habit of throwing off the first tackler up top. If you go high on him to wrestle, he bumps them off. And when you bump a guy off up top... That opens up line breaks. That that sort of move means if they haven't moved in the right spot, you can get through. But he did that last year. That's the point. It's a bit like Paul Vaughan a few years ago when he scored a million tries. When they've just done that, you go next year, you go, yeah, they can do that. But they just did. So that's what they're priced at. So to me, that's what he will do or he will do less. I don't see him doing better. And if he does what he did last year, I think you can get those points safer. That's all. Rather than crossing your fingers for a line break, you know, and a, and, a, and a try, you know, a line break and a try here and there. You can just buy David Clemmer. You can just buy whoever and just get those points without crossing the fingers, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And look, it's yeah. it's always really, like, as far as numbers go, if you just take away, you know, players' names or whatever and you just look at the PPMs, it tells a big story. 
Um, yeah. Because obviously, PPMs, it takes away the fact whether there's minutes disparity or anything. It's just mm. what their production's really going to be. And a lot of the time, it's pretty consistent. So if you look at Saifidi's line, you know, 2017, 0.95, 2018.97, 2019.93. You know, it, it's very close. And then 2020, 1.31, which isn't just elite, it verges on unsustainable, that type of PPM. Like 1.31 is huge. It is ultra elite. And you, you'll you find that not many guys are actually in that. Um, not many are in it for one season. Hardly any are sort of doing it for multiple seasons at that type of level. So that's a big concern for me just from looking at that type of number. You know, 1.31 PPM. Is he going to be able to do that again? Oh, I really, I think that the vast odds are against it. That, that's probably a good point because he doesn't offload the ball much, um, to be honest with you. Like he's not, not never, but he's not a huge offload. I think he's under offload. one a game. I think he's about yeah. 0.9 offloads a game. So you're getting to that PPM. You're not getting to that to that PPM, Andrew, for feeder style with like dump offload, dump offload. Yeah, <laughs> throw it out tackle break, off. tackle break, tackle break. Yeah, yeah. You're getting there through powering through line, like things that don't happen every week, and you can't replicate with line breaks and stuff. So I think he's a super player. I think we're going to see the best of him. I think he's um, really becoming one of the better front rowers going around the NRL. And I tend to be low on Knights players, not high. So it is quite a, a compliment for me. But he he's really good. But I don't see him doing better than that. I, I could see him having, you know, he's a damaging player, so I could see him possibly going close to it. But I think the, the odds are he goes down and there's no chance he goes up. And if he stays the same, it's not that good anyway. So I wouldn't be taking the risk. I, I think Newcastle will, if you look how New South Wales used him, he had a really good first origin and he did it really by really taking the ball up hard and getting quick play the balls. And I think, battering Ram suits him. He's got the attack, but at Newcastle, what I would, the way I would be playing is telling him to, I'd be having Clemmer go play one. Then you have Safidi off the back of it. When the defense is a bit more skittled, you get him to roll a couple of guys, play it really fast. And then Braley, Ponger and Pierce go. That would be what I do. I wouldn't be looking for him to jink and run and do stuff. I'd be saying, get, get on your front. He's a very Asatasi style player. He's very good at getting to his front quickly and quickly playing the ball. And that's what they should be doing. So the hooker and the half and the fullback can play fast because Newcastle with Pierce and Ponga are set up to do that. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, that 100%. doesn't suit super coach as a prop though. That's not, that's uh, you know, it's a worry, a hard grade style role. It doesn't suit super coach as well as they might have other parts to their game, but if they play the way they should, yeah, I, I probably think he, he, I wouldn't be looking at him to be honest at that price. 450, yeah, we'll have a run, but not 560 and that sort of thing, no. No, and look, not at front row forward either. Like we just spoke no. about before, that front row forward, if you're going to spend there, you want to make sure that you're spending well. You know, you don't yeah. want any doubt at all that a guy is going to be gun. And, you know, if there is doubt, you don't do it at front row forward. It's just not worth mm. it. Um, Connor Watson is going to be the guy that headlines our mid-range and cheapies for the Newcastle Knights. And what a headliner. Now, I will throw the caveat out there right away. If he's on the bench, there's no, you're not doing it. But if he is not on the bench and the rumours of him being a starting 13, which have been, you know, pretty substantiated by Newcastle beat writers like Barry Tui and stuff. Um, if he's a starting 13, he, he would potentially be the, the buy of round one as far as mid ranges go. I don't see many going better. Um, a couple of numbers for him. He's going to come in this year at a really good price point of, 288,000. And you're going to do it as a 5'8 hooker jewel, which is really appealing because it gives you a lot of different options. Now, obviously, in, in 2020, he only had the two games. Um, was it two games? Yeah, uh, he played the first 
two or three, and then he came back very briefly. So he did play a few more than that, but not many. He had a he was only back two weeks, I think, from his. Uh, he yeah, that's right. Yeah, he had two games mid season. He started off the season with three games. Yes. So yeah, so I mean, he had a thirty six average. So you can't really take anything away from any of that because one of the games he played six minutes, one of them he played nine minutes. None of them, uh, only one of them, he was starting, and it was his nine minute game. Now I'm looking at it, so. You can't take anything from 2020 aside from the fact that he gets a great discount. He is coming off an Achilles, which is concerning, but by all accounts, he's um, hitting all the preseason cliches of trading the house down, bigger, better, faster, all that. 2018-19, um, he had a 57-55 average, those back-to-back years. So even if he does that, you know, mid-50s player at 288k as a dual, it's highly valuable, but... One of the things that is a unknown, Luke, is that we don't know Connor Watson at 13. We don't really know how that's going to translate. Um, but what I did do was I had a look at his uh, six 70-plus-minute games starting in a nine jersey. And albeit that this was from a few years ago, because obviously last season was a write-off the year before. He didn't really start in the nine jersey. But um, a few years ago, you know, when you look at his run of six games and he was 70-plus minutes starting at nine, he averaged 72 with a raw base of 51. Now, nine is obviously a little different to 13, but the tackling workload defensively is going to be pretty similar, um, and you'd expect him to run a bit more as well. So, you know, I don't see him being less than what he normally would do at nine. Now, obviously, six games is not a huge sample size, He's coming back from an Achilles. It was a few years ago, but you know, 72 is a really high mark, especially like if I were to convert that to, to lock numbers, you know, I'd expect it to convert to about 78 points per game. I don't think he's going to do that, but it sort of shows what sort of potential he has. When you take all the factors into account, though, you know, you don't need 78. If he averages just 60 and gets to that gun level, 288k is huge. And if he's playing, you know, I don't know, 55 minutes a game, 50 minutes a game, 60 points is very much in the realm of possibility. And the last thing that I'll say to you, Luke, as well, with Connor Watson, the new rules and the type of role that he'll have at 13, it suits him to a T. You know, a, a few years ago, a lot of people were saying, look, Connor Watson just needs to accept him to hook up. Why can't he just start at nine? He runs from there really well with tired defences. He, he defends well. He's a bit of a spark plug. You know, that's, that's pretty much now what he's going to be doing at 13, I would guess. So I think it sort of lends itself to him. He's in a great role with a lot of opportunity and at 288k, if he's starting 13, I don't know why anyone would leave him out. No, agreed. Uh, I reckon he's a great buy. With the Fitzgibbon news, the, I, I suspected he would have ended up starting on the bench, Watson. I think they kept saying he's playing lock, but a lot of people mean he'll play lock. They didn't say he was going to start at lock. Um, some of the news was he would start, but I suspected they'd ease him in. I don't think they will now. I know he really wants to play lock. He's pushing for it. I think they were going to probably ease him through the 14. But with Fitzgibbon out, Barnett will be the starting edge back row with, with um, Frizzell, unless... I, I can't come up with another scenario where that doesn't happen. So without him competing, I think Watson plays lock. I think he plays good minutes to start. They'll try and control them a bit, but I think you'll still have to play good minutes because my understanding, and you have to read between the lines a little bit. I don't have any inside knowledge, but I have listened to the coach talk. And the way he talked was that there was too much sameness last year, which I agree totally with. They were very one-dimensional. He said they needed to get a faster body in there. It's the way the game's going. And then he said, we are fortunate enough to have two in Watson and Mann. So to me, what I think he is thinking is he is thinking, I want to get Barnett onto an edge. 
I want to get Connor Watson at lock. And when Green comes back at 5'8", in the early rounds of the season, we get Nan out of 5'8", thank God. And he'll go to the bench as the utility, who will also pinch hit some minutes. So on a regular basis, Nan will pinch hit for Connor at lock or go out to a utility position if needed. And if that's the case, Watson also is probably not the first guy moved to the backs if there's an injury. So not only are you getting a lock forward, he probably isn't going to get shifted to centre and that sort of fullback and that sort of thing if we get an injury. It's more likely to be man. Um which swords him up even further. I, I think he's a great buy. It suits him so well. You looked at his hooker numbers. That's a really good idea. The other thing you could do is just bloody look at his 5'8 numbers because I tell you what, it's not like he was scoring any of them by passing. I watched him play. He was at one point averaging 20 in runs playing 5'8. He never passed the ball. It was a joke <laughs> in the It's that they give him the ball and he looks at all the options and he goes, you know, running looks good here. And you go, for Christ's sake, Connor, like pass the ball. And he'd throw three guys off, but they could not run an attacking play because he cannot pass. He A, can't pass very well. He's got no class. And B never occurs to him to try to pass. It's never, he go, looks up, he goes, what do we look like doing here? Oh, well, yeah, we're it's, have a it's great that you moved to um, a Kurt Mann option then because he's the yeah. ultimate playback. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that, that's right. I didn't say I liked the alternatives. <laughs> but yeah, look, he, he um, I really like Connor as a player for, for those shortcomings. I just had a bit of a joke out. I, I love him. I think he's a, we've got a real amount of talent and there was always the question, how do we get it out of him? And I was worried he was going the way of Peachy, I was worried that because of the lack of a, the lack of imagination rugby league coaches have in the modern game, they were never going to find a way to get him in. That it's amazing how they can misuse guys like that and shunt them somewhere, bench them, and never be creative enough to go. How do we get this guy in the game? And for Connor, lock forward is perfect. It gets him in there. It, it was an option before everyone else did it. We shouldn't need five other clubs to show us through Radley and those sorts of guys that it's an option. But it damn well is. And I'm just glad they got there in the end because he's the sort of guy. He's got pace. He's got. He's a, the thing with guys like him, they're not good enough to pass the ball at 5'8 all the time, but they're more than capable of passing at lock. When you translate that to the forwards, his level of passing becomes a real ability. Like that little bit of vision and passing he has in the forwards is fantastic. So you suddenly got a guy who's quick, can take off in holes, he can go go what a while, he's got a motor so he can tackle, and he's good enough to look up and, and run a play when needed. So I think it's perfect. I'd be starting him on the bench. If he was on the bench, I'd still buy him, but I'd have bought him as a backup hooker. If he starts, uh, I'll put it out there that if you want to think about saving some money, if he is starting at lock forward, you could think about skipping Damien Cook. I don't think there's many options at hooker. I think he'll go that well. But if he is starting at lock forward, you could take a punt on leaving out Cook and saying he's my hooker. If you want to go with a build where you build guys elsewhere, Cook's had a good season last year, but he, he can be hot and cold Cook. And if you want to gamble that he'll be cold, uh, not saying you should, but if you want to gamble, you could go. I'm going all the way and go all in and Watson and yeah. play a play a TP at the other. It's not about he's he's good enough that if he starts at lock forward, that becomes an option. Same thing at five eight. He's good enough that if you want to pick him at five eight and go Munster is too expensive and I don't want to pay up for Walker, you could just start him straight up. I think it would be. I agree. Good. You could do that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely an option for sure. Uh, yep. One thing that's not an option is to leave him out of your side. So if he's starting. No. He's a, he's the definition of a must-have. The only risk that you have with Connor Watson is injury. That's probably the only thing that's there. And that's there with a lot of players anyway. Uh, you, you can't take that into account. He is a must-have, and everybody knows that I rarely have a must-have. Connor Watson's a must-have if he's starting. It doesn't even matter what minutes he's getting. You, no. Starting jersey, Connor Watson's straight in. He's going to make a ton of money, and he's got a great draw that's really going to lend itself. We're talking about you know who in the Knights is going to be able to attack with our Ponga there. Connor Watson will be able to because 
he'll do it all himself. That's what, that's for sure. Um, let's move on to some of the other if guys. He was, um, the one thing yeah. with Watson with injury, if he was 400k, injury is a real concern. He's 280. <laughs> you, not you can't lose. You cannot lose. <laughs> yes, that's no right. way. Yeah. Um, Tex Hoy comes in at, at the, the number one jersey. Um, now, he only had two games last year for a 49 average, uh, close to 36 raw base. Not enough to take away from that because it is only two games, but, I mean, he was solid. He wasn't putting up 10 points a game in his, his starting number one, so that's a good thing. He comes in at 240000 as a dual 5.8 fullback. So not rookie price, about 70k above where you could get a rookie at, um, but not a bad price point uh, as far as putting some mids and cheapies in your side. Obviously, Caelan Ponga, you know, his timeline keeps getting pushed out a little bit. At first, it was, you know, maybe around one to two. Then it was sort of maybe the first few weeks. And now it's sort of blown out to, you know, four to six weeks. Uh, I'm not sure what to make of Tex Hoy. So real quickly, Luke, give me your, your night's feedback on it. I don't have Tex Hoy at the moment. If, you know, he's one of those guys that maybe gets six weeks run, um, he's going to be good. If he only gets three or four weeks run, it's not going to be good. It's really dependent on Caitlin Ponga, obviously. Um, if there's enough cheapies or mid-range guys around that price point, I probably don't see the need to go with him. Um, if there isn't, then he's a fine fill-in, and that's kind of where I've got him at the moment. Nah, get him in, mate. Get him in. Um, Tex is... I, I think... I, I'm surprised people are off him. We're in a super coach group, and people seem cold on him. I don't get it. Um, I, I think... So, with Tex, uh, first and foremost, I'm not one of the Mad Knights fans who, who loves Tex. Uh, when they've spoke about him for a few years, and I made a real effort to watch him in the New South Wales Cup... Um, and to watch him come through. I watched him play fullback, 5'8", and a lot of centre in the New South Wales Cup. If I didn't know who I was looking for, honestly, I wouldn't have noticed. I never saw him do anything, and I never saw him do anything that was worth the hype that was going around. His, his dad's mates with Andrew Johns. His dad's famous surfer and everything, so I get that that's where the hype was, but I never saw anything, and... I watched him play first grade last year, and yeah, I did see a bit. I, I'll be open whether I've got him wrong or whether he's just improved. When I watched him last year, I thought, I didn't see you do that in the New South Wales Cup. And I guess that's a good sign as he went up a level and started to show a bit more. Um, so I'm not all in on Tex as a player. I'm yet, I, I think he has potential, but I'm yet to be sold. He is the next big thing that Knights fans want him to be. We get very obsessed with local juniors here, and local juniors who are friends with Andrew Johns is just ticking too many boxes for us, especially when their dad surfs and all that sort of thing. It's, just, <laughs> it's ticking too many Novocastria boxes for us not to be keen, but I will say he does have potential, he, and he is very super coach friendly. He is a runner of the ball. He runs the ball very heavily. He's got a similar – he's a bit, probably a bit shorter than Munster, but he's got a similar build to Munster, and he's quite a heavy – Fullback five eight with a bit of a bit of pace that he doesn't look like he has. Um, you look at them; he doesn't look that quick. Munster doesn't look that quick, but they've got a bit of pace. Um, but he can pass as well. He's not a guy who's going to throw ball of the century with that classy short ball. But what he does do is he can run plays. So he will link out the back at fullback and throw a cutout to his winger. He will run into the line, sort of head fake exaggeratedly, and pop a short ball. So he does things that can get twenty points in one go. And he's elusive and a good runner. So if they hit him in space, he backs up. He, he will score a try or two at some point. He will be out the back on the play. So if we get a side short and an overlap, he will throw that last pass, that sort of thing. So he can do the things that get you 20 points. He can make tackle bus. And most importantly, he will kick goals most likely in this team. So if the Newcastle Knights are playing a 240K um, fullback who's available at 5'8", 
and they're playing, you know, going to your logic here, I'm the one who said the draw wasn't good, but if you think the draw is good, you're the one who thinks the draw is good. So if you like the draw and they're playing the Bulldogs and he's kicking goals, they're playing the Warriors on the Central Coast, that's not an away trip, and he's kicking goals, they're playing the Tigers at home and he's kicking goals, then they get the Dragons, then they get the Titans, then they get the Sharks at round six. You've got to be having a pretty good look. Uh, Ponga, they're, they're pushing it to six weeks. So... We, you've really got to take that. If they say six, it's not going to be three. It was four, now it's six. Could it be four or five? I guess that's still possible. They will not rush him. He is too important. He is not important for this year only. He's important for 10 years. They have to have him feel that club is buggered. And <laughs> they've invested in him, and he's that good of a player, and we don't get good players here that often. They're, they're not going to muck around with him. And O'Brien has been in good systems at Melbourne and East. He is not the dumb coach who is going to flick Ponga back three weeks early or something. So Tex will get four. He'll probably get five or six. He's going to kick goals. He's playing fullback. He's a runner of the ball who can pop a pass. Am I all in him as a player? No, but I don't really see it. He's my backup 5'8", and, I, you know, I, he's in. I, I don't see – I'd be having him before Moylan. I can tell you that much because he's just the, – the weeks he's there, he will do more. And if Ponga comes back in round four, swap him to Moylan. Like, it'll, you'll get a swap. It won't – it won't hurt you. You're a big chance to. I'd be getting him, and I'd be playing him. You got to play 17 players. I'm playing him. Yeah, I think that the the scary part for me, um, like if I agree with everything that you said on your assessment on him, and you know if if I had some more guarantee of like if I had like you know Pong was out for 10 weeks, you know, he'd be Hoy would be straight in, and I'd have him over Moylan. I think that where people are getting hung up in Moylan um, or those, those sort of players is that you've got the opportunity to have them on the bench and not play them. And yep. for them to eventually make you money, you know, whereas someone like a Tex Hoy, if he's only going to get two price rises and maybe he has a couple of bad games in there, which is entirely possible, then, you know, you're not going to get much money out of it. And he either sits there and you wait for him to get another opportunity or, you know, you, you, you take an 80K um, and he's already 70K up above the, the rookie price. Mm-hmm. So it's not as easy for him to rise too much with limited um, rises as far as weeks. Now, um, if Pong is out for six weeks, that's fine. You know, he's going to get a rise after round three, four, and five, um, possibly after round six, depending on how it goes. And that's going to be enough. You know, four rises, that'll be fine. He'll, he'll make a good amount of money there. My worry is, um, and it always is with injuries at this point, like the NRL season is like a full month away as it is. Um, so when, you, when you're talking about um, timelines on guys in the preseason, um until it's a bit closer to the start of the season, it always worries me because obviously guys' timelines can always shorten or blow out. Um, and they could, you know, Caitlin Palmer has more than two months to get better and, and get better earlier and be able to return sort of round four. You know, there's a, there's a long period of time in there. So I guess that's where my concern is. It's not really about Tex Hoy as the player or as an option yeah. in a vacuum. It's, you know, how much opportunities he's definitely going to get. Yeah, okay. That, that's probably fair enough. I, the one thing, Pong is back at training as of yesterday. That's the first time he's trained. He is not, uh, he, he's had, a, he's had surgery. So he had surgery. He's not, he trained yesterday without contact. He's not training with contact for the foreseeable future. And he's as skinny as a rake because he had shoulder surgery. So he can't do any weight. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't think he'll be early. Like he's, they're going to want to put weight on him. They're going to want to put his shoulder, they're going to want to put weight on his shoulders, muscle on his shoulders, particularly. Yep. They're going to, um, I think they're going to want to put that on him. I don't think anyone's going to be allowed to touch him at training. I think that'll be a sackable offence. He's in the yellow thing. I think anyone bumps into him. They'll probably have a new, a new colour. They'll have a new colour. Yeah. It'll be, it won't be yellow. It'll be like yeah. orange or something because you, you're like, gone if you tackle him. That's right. Well, yeah, one guy, 
Andrew Johns once uh, slipped a disc at training because someone whacked him too hard with the pads. And I'll tell you, if this happened again, I'll be down there. I'll be whacking him myself <laughs> with a shovel. Anyone repeats that with Kalen. But um, yeah, I think the thing with Hoy, that, that's the thing. I, I'm fairly confident we won't see Ponga till rounds five or six, in which case I'll, I'm happy to take Hoy because I think I can get some good scores. The second one is Kalen Ponga. If he comes back in round five or six, plays four weeks, he will be picked in the state of origin side somewhere without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, if it's not at fullback, it'll be on the bench. He won't not be picked. Uh, yep. They're not good enough to not pick him, and you'll get Hoy. So worst-case scenario, you might end up with 60, 20, 70, 30 from Hoy or something in a low break even coming into the origin period, and they will rest him again there. They will not take risks with him. Um, he's had a ha- He did a hamstring two years ago pl- backing up from origin, so it's fairly safe to say that's in the bank of what they've got now. When they have his medical history, they will have that he did a soft tissue injury backing up from an origin game and we'll be very cautious about doing that. Um, and I suppose lastly, now this is totally me speculating, so don't base your super coach team on this, but Tex Hoy's been the talk of the town at Newcastle for two years now. Last year, they said he was so impressive in preseason that O'Brien said, oh, I wish I'd given him time at fullback, but at training, but I've never even trained him there because, you know, sorry, I wish I gave him training at 5'8", but we didn't train him there all preseason. We had no idea how much he'd stand out. Um, and then he stood out and they went, right, he's got to bide his time. And he played off the bench here and there. Then on the wing, he played at fullback when Kalen was out. So they, they they went, wow, we could see a future for this guy, but didn't pick him because he hadn't trained enough to play in the spine. Then, you know, we're a season later and he's coming in. He's still all the talk of the town and he's going to play fullback for Kalen for a few weeks. If he plays well, if they don't put him in the team here somewhere, it's never going to happen. Like they've got, Blake Green at 5'8", Mitch Pierce at halfback. They're still trying to re-sign Piercy. I don't think they will, but they're trying to. And they've got Clifford coming the year after. <laughs> so, you know, aside of my thoughts on Clifford, the, the point remains they've signed a halfback or a 5'8 halfback. They've got Green here now to play 5'8 this year. They're trying to still sign Piercy. They are going to have to try and get, in my opinion, Hoy in at centre instead of Tuala or Shibasaki. I don't base your team on that. It's only my opinion. But if they think he's good and he plays well the first few weeks with all the hype, if they don't pick him now, he'll never get picked. He's not going to be the backup for 10 years for Ponga. He's in his early 20s. He's had two years around the first grade group in and out. And if they think he's going to be a good player, which they do, they have to now do what Melbourne and, and good teams do and slot him in somewhere. It might be his first choice, but he played a lot of centre in New South Wales Cup. They're playing absolute pelicans at right centre at Newcastle. It's not like there's not a spot. It's not like there's not a spot there. And it, you know, I just surely they're going to have to put him in. But that's off the top of my head. Uh, don't base your team on that. We'll see. All right. Well, it sounds like you're invested in Texoy. I see him as a, a definite option. In. Yeah. Option for people to consider. We're going to finish on the Newcastle Knights, so as a bit of a mid-range slash cheapie, is uh, someone who I haven't really seen anyone speaking about, and that is Braley. Now, obviously, young Jaden Braley didn't have a good year last year, and that's an understatement. Um, you know, he came in, scored 43 points in his first game with 45 base, 72 points in the second game, which was phenomenal, and then was out, um, did his knee, gone for the rest of the year. So, you know, he was a cheapie that a lot of guys had last year. Coming into 2021, uh, I haven't seen any talk at all about him, really. Uh, everyone's obviously on the little train. Now, I understand the little train, and we're going to get to that in another podcast, but Jaden Braley comes in um, a little bit higher price at 356k, uh, but he did average 58 points a game in 2020 on those two small sample size games. He does look like he's going to get 80 minutes a game, um, 
if he does, you'd kind of expect him, even if he's struggling with his knee to start with, to be in the 50s. Out of the Braley's brothers, he was the guy coming through that was the more creative one and that did have a bit more of an attack and running game, which I think we saw in his second game last season before he did his knee. Now, there's a lot of boxes to tick there at 356k. He does have a good draw running a couple of packs that are going to maybe allow him to do a few things as well. I I get that Little is um, 277k versus 356 for Braley, but I would have expected a little bit more talk on Braley, Luke. Yeah, I think he's a pretty good option. Um, he averaged 46 and 67 minutes when he was at Cronulla in his better year when he played the most minutes. So you're extrapolating out of that. You're looking in the 50s over 80. Um, he came here and wants to play 80 minutes. The coach wanted to give him 80 minutes. He played 80 minutes when he was fit and a very small size. He's coming in now. I don't believe now there will be many opportunities to rest him, I think, because to start the year, Green won't be fit for round one. So you're going to see Kurt Mann most likely play 5-8. You're going to see Watson start at lock um, now that Fitzgibbon's not an option to play on the edge. Um, so I don't see a scenario where they're going to try and cram Watson or Mann or someone into the game at hooker to give him a spell because they're already going to have to start with a couple of guys going down. They always wanted to give him 80 minutes. He's been put in the leadership group. That was his goal. They were happy with what he did last year. Um, I, I, th- I think he is a good option. I've been very bullish on not picking a gun hooker this year because I don't really want to pay up for Cook, and I think everyone else is stuffed. I don't, I don't know why you pick Grant with 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 Brandon Smith hanging around, and then there's I, I think every gun hooker has a problem this year. Like I don't like the look of him, Bar Cook. Having owned Cook all last year, he scored well overall, but he, he left me pretty underwhelmed in a few parts, and, and I was. I'm coming around to getting Cook, but I, I was prepared to gamble. And when I thought Watson would maybe be on the bench and then come in, I was going to take Brayley Watson as my double. Brayley, I think, will get 80 minutes. I think he'll go up in value. I think he's a pretty good option. I'm surprised more people haven't looked. Now that Watson's going to start, I, I, you know, I, I would probably rather go Watson at a cheaper price and, and Watson and Little rather than, you know, rather than Watson and Brayley. And I suppose the only thing I would say is that every time I built that, I kept looking and going, mm, it's only 30K to Josh Hodgson. I guess if you're spending that kind of cash, ugh, Hodgson, I know he might well have the, the young bloke uh, coming through it at the Raiders, uh, the young hooker might be on the bench as well, but Hodgson will just move to lock or something. They won't take him off the field. They love him and he won't want to go and he'll just tackle for 10 minutes, which won't hurt his low base stats anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, I went through his base yeah. numbers and stuff last week and I was saying, look, I think yeah. that people are expecting too much from... Josh Hodgson because they're kind of yeah. expecting him to be a gun and his numbers are actually pretty disgraceful for a you know an eighty minute star hooker. Um, yeah, especially uh, yeah. his base. I mean, you could you your build there. Like I was going to say, and you, if you're a Newcastle Knights fan, I wouldn't be scared if you're not going to have. And I agree with Luke on. I don't think there's a huge amount of great hookers. I'm pretty sold on on Cook and a cheapie. But if I didn't go Cook and a cheapie, then I would go you know two cheapie mids um, for sure. Because I, I just not sold enough on anyone else. But if you're a Knights fan, you don't have to, you know, get get anyone to talk you into it. You can very much go for Watson and Braley if they're both starting. Like I can see that, and we talk about paying for points quite often. Um, you're kind of paying for points with Braley with that extra seventy odd k on Little because look, there's no way that Little's playing eighty minutes. Like he's not going to. They're going to have someone on that bench that is going to take minutes from Little. Now whether that's Moses Embiid is going to end up shafted and on the bench now, or whether it's young Simpkins that's going to be on the bench. You know, maybe Little's only 55 to 60 minutes, you know. So is it worth paying 70K extra 
to get an extra 25, 30 minutes out of your hooker instead of having little? Absolutely, I think it is for round one. Um, and they're going to make at least as much as what little is because of those extra minutes. Yeah, and, and Braley, if we were talking on the draw, regardless of how well the Knights go, it's hard to imagine with the Bulldogs, Warriors, Tigers, Dragons, Titans, Sharks, that he won't throw a ball to a front rower who just crashes over yep. a couple of times. Like, I think you might even get two over six weeks there. There's enough teams that get sloppy that it's where he might grab one. Um, I, I really like him. I, I think that's where I always fell over was uh, it's only 30k to Hodgson, who is, I don't think Braley will score you 100. Like, Braley is going yeah, yeah, to sure. start punching out your mid-50s. And if you took Hodgson, you might get that ton um, or something big. And, uh, you know, and he's, he's safe. Like, you just know that Hodgson will play the 80. They're not going to tinker. They're not going to... He's never going to be in any sort of doubt unless he's hurt. I, I, I could see... You know, I, I think if you're that close, you might just think go Hodgson. But I, I think he's worth thinking about. I think he'll be overlooked in draft, and you should definitely pick him up. And I, I think I, I'd, I'll be thinking about him. I probably won't do it now. I'm coming around to the idea of Cook Watson. Um, if I wasn't, I'll probably go Watson little. But, yeah, he's worth thinking about, and he'll be one where he'll probably come out and score 270s and be kicking myself that I tipped it and didn't do it. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, too. He's also one that's probably going to open up on top sport in the super coach markets. And yeah. top sport will probably have him at, you know, 40 points a game or something. And it's going to be a really good overs bet to throw on. So we'll, we'll see a few more of those as they come out. But um, so I, there's actually one other guy that we're going to finish the nights on. Um, and that's on the rising gun list. So rising gun is Bradman Best. So Bradman Best has had a meteoric rise in the Newcastle Knight ranks and he's basically come in and been a, a, um, a keeper and a, a gun in the centre wing spot, which is pretty hard to do. Um, but he's come in in his first, you know, proper first grade season after debuting and having three games in 2019 with a 2020 season average of 62 points a game straight into gun status, which is phenomenal for his first full season. Um, he did only play 10 games due to injury, but there were some really good things to see as far as him being a gun of the future in centre wing. 60% of his games were above 50 points and 30% of them were 90-plus, and he had a rule base of 36. So when you're talking about centre wings, you know, having that high floor is really great, and he's also got the high ceiling on top. So perfect combination for what you want in a centre wing. He also scored eight tries in 11 appearances, had around three TBs per game and half an offload a game. So he's exactly the type of attacking weapon that you want in centre wing. Um, he ticks basically every box, the only thing that's a bit rough for this season, Luke, is that his price point's 550k. If he was coming in <laughs> sub 500, he would he would have a very strong argument to be you know one of your centre wings that you pick even at that price point because of how good that he looks and how much attack that he has in him with the draw that they've got coming up. At 550, it might be slightly harder to make that argument, but he's also going to be a pod. There's no way he's going to be at 10 plus percent ownership. He's definitely a rising gun. Um, I'm picking him to be a gun this year and to fully cement himself. Um, and I'm scared not having him for the first six weeks of the season. He is a gun. He's a, he's a great player. Um, you can look at tries two ways. Sometimes you have to look at someone's try season. Um, maybe Ken Mamalo is a good example. The other year when he, he'd averaged like five his whole career and punched right up the top of the list where you have to go, oh, he scored a lot of tries. That's now a bad thing next year because they'll probably drop. When you look at Bradman's, the difference – with with Bradman is that he scores them because of how good he is. Like he scores a lot of those, 
he was given early ball and burnt people. He scored one against Melbourne that was just, oh, they just gave it to him early and he just sat them. And not many people do it to Melbourne. He just showed them. He, he, they gave him a look at the sideline and he went bang, bang, powered through. And he powers over people. He's got that He's got that Conrad Hurley sort of um, and, and Essan Masters way of barreling over close, but he's also got that pace and footwork. Biggest, but, yeah, biggest quads and hamstrings that you'll ever see on a centre. Yeah, that's right. He's the mix of he's got that brute power, you know, block of cheese centre style, but he also <laughs> has that low maxi like Mark Gazaniri feet sort of thing from further back. He's got everything you want, and he scores his own tries. I was going to start with him. I, I was going to, to have him in. Um, I am not going to now because Kalen is out, and I think Newcastle's not all that clever. They don't use guys all that well, and without Kalen, it will just take the edge off him. I think good as the, it's annoying the draws. Like, those are the games I'd want him and Kalen both in, so it's a bit annoying that way because I, I think what will happen now is he might start well anyway, but, you know, I think they might – we'll get a run of two or three games where he doesn't score and scores a couple of 35s, and if he drops a little bit – and Kalen comes back, and they you see a nice game or two. Maybe not straight away, because I know we've got a harder couple of games, but if you then go, right, we've got a nice little run here, you bang him in and you keep him all year, and I think you'll get really good value. I think he'll drop at some point, and you'll be able to pick him up, and he'll be very worth keeping, because he does a lot of work. He's a very committed young bloke. He does a lot of training, and he's very keen to get better, which you can't say about all of them. He works very hard. He's always an injury risk, but he works very hard. And he has all the tools. And if you put that next to Ponga, it's all about, you spoke about opportunity before. He has all the tools to score. He has the work rate and he's playing outside the right player. And that is so important. You want to see why at the, the Warriors, Fuzatua scored 20 tries two years in a row with Johnson. Johnson leaves. Mamalo on the other side scores 20 tries off green and, and Fuzatua scored about five. <laughs> and that, that is what opportunity is in footy. And he has the tools, which you need but he also has the right player in Ponga. And with him missing at the start, I think it'll just take the edge off. I'd take him at 450 still. I'd just lock him in. And he'd probably still go well. But at that price, I'm not going to take him without the guy I need to pass the ball to him most of the time. Yep. Um, Green will help on that front. I'm not a huge fan of Blake Green, but Blake Green understands the basics of, of structure. So he understands that the goal needs to be to get it to him, which will help. Kurt Mann's never quite understood that. But... Um, Blake Green's not back for a round or two either. So you're going to get Kurt Mann out with him at the start of the year who isn't really as good at knowing when to get him the ball. But when you get sort of Green and Ponga back and if you can get a price drop or two, he is a real option. And I'd be surprised if he's not in the top five or six averaging centres this season. Yeah, he, he really should be. And one of the good things about the Newcastle Knights too is that they play the first buy in round 13. So, you know, if you can grab a cheap Bradman best, um, you know, round... 780-ish, even though they've got a hard match up there. Um, they go in, you know, with, you know, round nine Raiders um, away, which is tough, but then Tigers, Cowboys, Manly, and play the Eels in the bye when they'll have a few rep players off, maybe. Uh, that's a, that's going to be a good purchase, and Bradman Best will have a good year. Um, it's the only injury that's going to be in his way. Phenomenal player, um, but, yeah, you, you could go there for Supercoach. If you want to, if you talk about pods, you know, and we all get real left-field type of pods in the centre wing to just have a crack at because all of them can score big on their day. He's got the ceiling. So, you know, as long as you know that the guy's got the ceiling, you could have a crack. He's got the draw as well to do it. He could just go bananas, and he's probably, I would guess, you know, going to be 4 or 5% owned or something like that. So you're going to get that pod factor in there to start the season. 
Um, For sure. I think round two, the Warriors, and then round five. The Bulldogs, I'm sketchy on saying it's a bad game because they just do beat us a lot. But you get the Warriors round two, and then he'll either be marking James Roberts or, or, or BJ in the third round at home <laughs> in a day game. Yep. And then we get the, then we get the Dragons. So I think he'll have Lomax then, who's not too bad. But that, that two and three, having the Warriors into marking either BJ or James Roberts, who neither of whom can, can <laughs> tackle, uh, is... Yeah, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to have some balls, that's not a really, really not a bad shout at trying to get a, trying to jag a hundred. No one else is getting. I won't be doing it, but I respect you if you do, and I wouldn't be surprised if it works. Yeah, for sure, hundred percent agree. On that note, um, thanks for jumping on, mate. A mammoth one that's going to be a two-parter, so a knights and a roosters, <laughs> so you can go on both of them. I really appreciate it. It was good to chat some footy with you on the podcast and um, rugby league cemetery. You've got an episode coming up, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll have one. We haven't picked what game it's going to be next. We released one last week of the World Cup semi-final 95 with uh, young Freddie and young Joey carving up the Kiwis, uh, carving up in extra time. I shouldn't say carving up or I'll upset our Kiwi friends, but it was one of the greatest games you'll, you'll ever see. Totally mad. So if you haven't watched that game, you should go and watch it. It's absolutely fantastic. But we'll be back with something else soon. Awesome. Well, we'll get you on during the year and have another night's chat, mate, and hopefully you'll be in um, good spirits. (laughs) Uh, You never know. Stranger things have happened somewhere. (laughs) All right. Thanks, mate. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. Now, as always, uh, you can download us on SoundCloud, also iTunes, and now as communicated the last couple of weeks, we are on Spotify, so you can grab us there as well. Also, don't forget our uh, partnership with uh, Top Sport means that you can jump on there, create an account on Top Sport, and put in the promo code SC All Stars to make sure they take care of you. And do follow us on Twitter as well, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars, and you can get all the up-to-date info and updates on when the pods are coming out and everything else. But Thanks for listening to part one of the podcast with Luke from the Rugby League Cemetery. Uh, Barnsley and Luke will be back tomorrow on part two of this particular podcast where we'll be reviewing the Roosters and going through that team in a lot of detail as well. So you'll get a podcast each day for a couple of days in a row. We'll also be back next week where I'll have a brand new guest debuting once again that's never been on before. So until then, enjoy yourselves. Enjoy the Supercoach teams being put together at the moment. It's a lot of fun and we'll chat to you again soon.